Hello and welcome to Buzz Me In, a podcast by Media Associates for Media Associates. My name is Eliza Cohen. And I'm Laura Lodell. And we're both Media Associates at CMS and your podcast hosts. Buzz is a network for professionals in the media industry. And the goal of this podcast is to speak to some of those professionals to find out what it is they do, how they do it, and how they got to where they are today. We'll also cover some key trends in the media industry by sector. Today's episode looks at the influencer industry, featuring some Q&A with our colleagues Susanna Parry and Victoria Gaskell and their guest Phil Hughes, which was first aired as part of our advertising and marketing webinar series. Phil is the global COO of Green Futures Group. Having spent seven years at a leading media agency, Phil retrained as a media and entertainment lawyer, specialising in intellectual property for talent, distributors and brands, from publishing to film, music and TV, licensing and more. With a wealth of experience within the talent, social media and entertainment and advertising industries, since joining Gleam in 2013, Phil has been instrumental in developing and building businesses with some of the world's best digital first talent. Over to Susanna, Victoria and Phil. Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. We have got um, lots and lots of questions that we'd love to put to you, so we'll see how many we can get through. I think the first one is probably... Um, following on from Tor's discussion on the practical points about engaging with influencers, of course, making sure that you've got um, a watertight contract in place. But practically, I mean, we know that Glean works on over two and a half thousand brand deals a year. What practical tips have you got to add when engaging and working with influencers? Thanks. Hello, everyone. Practical tips. Um, lots, I suppose. We do, do lots of brand partnerships every year. I think... Um, the first one is to agree as much as you can up front, and I think Victoria touched on that. If you're speaking to people about what your messaging is going to be like in the in the video, or what your how your um, content is going to be disclosed, or those kind of practical things, and they're avoiding those questions, then it should be a real red flag to you. Professional influencers should be up for having those conversations up front and for having them in a briefing form. Um, Another tip, I suppose, is don't view them as a homogenous group of people when you talk about influencers. We talked a lot about influencers on this call today. I've seen one of the um, questions saying that influencers don't seem to care about disclosure. And actually, a lot of them really do care about disclosure. Zoe, uh, who had that ASOS decision you discussed earlier, cares a lot about disclosure. She's a very professional um, influencer and um, kind of a media mogul. And that, that, that that's an interesting decision um, because she was disclosing at the time uh, how the guidance from the ASA uh, said you should disclose an affiliate by referring to it as an affiliate link. Unfortunately, six months later, they changed the regulations and they applied them um, retrospectively to her post, which is something brands should be aware of, is that the, the, the rules change all the time and you have to keep up to date with them, I suppose. Um, homogenous um, approach to influencers. If you were, for example, dealing with traditional talent, I think if you were dealing with like one of the Chuckle Brothers compared to dealing with Beyonce, what you'd be expecting contractually would be very, very different because Beyonce's got a lot more to think about in terms of her entertainment um, industry than the Chuckle Brothers do. And it's the same with influencers. Someone like Zoe or we manage Louise Pentland, who are all um, authors, IP owners, business owners, product distributors, as well as influencers, they're going to have a different conversation about how a contract works to someone who is, uh, say, a mum blogger with 2,000 followers talking about nappies every day. The requirements and what you can expect and how you work with them are very, very different, and I think you need to be conscious of that. And a lot of brands do try and apply uh, a kind of templatized approach to dealing with influencer talent. And I understand why, because it's a lot easier, but often there'll be a conversation around certain things that need to happen. I think 
the influencer with their message. That's a big part of how you get the most effective messaging from talent. Um, I think you, you can't, it's a lot of brands, um, understandably so are very controlling of their of their content and their messaging in all their advertising you should expect them to but it, i think you have to be a bit braver when you're working with influencers and what that requires i think is trusting them with your message because they know how to speak to their audience they're an authentic engaged audience that they speak to every day and that's why if you think about it why you're using them um so i think you have to trust them and that from a brand perspective you can get safer on that by by doing your due diligence on the talent working with a management company like Lean futures who only work with Specialized, uh, working with a marketing agency, influencer marketing agency like Gleam Solutions, who we do due diligence on both our roster and non-roster talent for campaigns, so that we know that the brand safe, so that we know that they will disclose. But have, trusting them to get your message out there means you get much better results. There's a few practical tips. I can, there's more if, you, if I could go on all day. Definitely, I bet. No, lots of really useful um, insights. Trust, uh, building a longer-term relationship. And being quite practical um, and upfront about uh, what your messaging is, all, all really useful practical tips. Um, so Gleam was established in 2010 um, when the influencer market was relatively nascent, just beginning. What do you wish you knew then? What do you wish that you know now that you wish you knew then? Is it going to develop? Because um, if you'd known how the market was going to develop, we could have captured even more opportunity. But I think, like I say, Gleam launched in 2010, um, and for quite a number of years, we were the only people doing calling uh, digital talent talent. We were the first people to call them talent, um, first people to do influencer deals in the UK and Europe, um, and the first people to do publishing deals in the UK and Europe, probably the world for, for this type of talent. Um, then around 2014-15, we published a. The book by Zoe Sugg, Zoella, which was the fastest selling debut book by an author ever. And it landed on the front of the, the Telegraph as a result of that. And from that moment on, we saw a real explosion of, of um, the digital talent industry to 2016, 2017. It exploded and there were influencers everywhere, more platforms coming up, more brands utilizing influencers. Um, and what we saw, which we, we didn't, we, we kind of knew that there'd be more competition and the market would grow quickly, but not as quickly as we did. I've never, like I've, I've worked in media for my, my entire career um, and I've never seen something grow as fast and be as fast paced as the, the influencer industry. And it continues to be as fast, to be really fast paced in the change and, and evolution of it. But what happened at that time, which disadvantaged us, who kind of represent quality talent is um, the advertising industry started looking at influencers around 17, 18 as like a media buy um, so it all became about how many eyeballs am I getting and how many clicks and likes am I getting, which <laughs> there's a value of that, but really we refer to them as vanity metrics. Um, and what happens as a result of that is this explosion of talent, people buying audiences as, num buying as numbers, people buying from automated platforms. And that really is what we, when we started to see this backlash against social media and against influencers, because there was no quality attached to what was happening. Uh, things weren't being regulated properly. And because people were buying from automated platforms and not doing due diligence on their talent, talent weren't disclosing things properly. And there's a real kickback against it. And um, that we obviously kind of had a difficult time with that, maintaining our kind of heritage in the space but our heritage and experience in the space benefited us at that time but it was a difficult time when that happened for everyone i think but i'm thankful now that we're starting to see um the return to concentration on quality and authenticity 
um, and business results rather than just engagement uh, like likes and things like that because I think we could have done a lot more to help the industry through that phase and also there would have been uh, more ways of making money if I realised that was going to happen. Always a learning point there, always a learning point. Um, we're seeing the emergence of new social media platforms, Snapchat and yeah. most recently TikTok is obviously used um, a lot mm. for influencer marketing. What has the impact been um, and, and, and continues to be, do you think, on the emergence of these new um, technologies and social media platforms? Um, I think it's a good thing, first of all, I should say. I think it's a good thing that the more, the more platforms that are, that are coming out, the more ways of reaching people, and that's the big thing, that it provides different ways for brands to reach consumers. Um, and what it's led to recently is the kind of um, the emergence of a platform like TikTok, for example, which is much more community-driven. Um, it's kind of like, I call it old-fashioned old in that sense, but we're only referring back to like 2015 when YouTube used to be much more community-driven than it is. And, and it's been refreshing for a, for a younger audience, I think, to have a platform that's much less uh, algorithmically driven, that it's, they're, they're getting content that they, they're choosing to see, and, and then they're forming a community around. And what's that, what that has led to is a bit more, um, a kind of move away from just very polished um curated content like the likes of instagram sees with a lot of very beautiful looking people perfect lives and that kind of thing and even on those platforms we're starting to see a big move towards um more authentic down-to-earth um content so that's one thing one trend that's happened i think as a result of the emergence of things like tiktok um you're also seeing like a race from the platforms to kind of keep up with what each other are doing. So with the emergence of TikTok, it's taken a lot of share from the likes of um, Instagram, particularly the very young um, Gen Z audience. They, Instagram have developed a product called Reels, for example, which is their uh, product they've introduced as part of their platform to directly compete with TikTok. It's the same kind of formatted, um, short formatted content. Generally speaking, we saw it in 2016, 2017, when a couple of platforms that were very, very well funded came to market. Unfortunately, none of them really succeeded because um, YouTube and Facebook kind of stamped them out. But TikTok and Snapchat coming up has been really good because it's creating more opportunities for brands. So, for example, there's a real race to see who can make who can be most shoppable. So the likes of Instagram are concentrating on making the shoppability of their platforms. So, that, for example, creators will be able to directly and uh, more directly easily link to the purchasing of products. So you'll start to see uh, kind of improving um, business performance from posts platforms around the shoppability of things. So you're seeing influencers doing hour long. QVC style shows that are driving enormous sales. So there's a lot of interesting things happening with the, the new platforms coming up. Fascinating. So what other trends have you seen? I suppose um, non-platform trends. Have you seen any um, recent messages mm -hmm. or type of content, style of influencer um, that have emerged recently? Yeah, there's a couple to talk about. Um, First, there's kind of been a move towards cause-led talent. And again, away from this is part of this away from move away from just polished content. Don't get me wrong, all the polished content and the stuff that looks fantastic is still doing tremendously well. And it's, but we're seeing an emergence of cause-led um talent. So we represent a couple a girl called Gina Martin, for example, who um had a campaign to make upskirting illegal, which was successful in the House of the Parliament. We represent Scarlett Curtis, who's a um very well-known um feminist talent. Golka Grace Victory, who um, campaigns for um, equality around um, size, body size, and things like that. So that I think is um, really reflective of um, Gen Z and the fact that they actually, all the research you read, 
which is that they actually very authentically and genuinely care about the planet and they care about people and each other and they want to see change. So we are seeing um, a move towards cause-led talent. And we're seeing, you know, we've done a, an example of that as we did a campaign with, um, again, it's public, with, with McDonald's. Um, and one of our talent called Mother Pucker and a White House, as well as being an influencer as an author, and she's a DJ on Heart Radio and stuff like that. But she has for years um, taught, worked on flexible working policies. It's been a camp- something she's campaigned for for four or five years. And McDonald's came to talk to us because that's something they wanted to communicate and talk about. Um, so it's a really authentic partnership because um, we, we and Anna did due diligence on what their flexible policy working actually was and it was something that matched with what she was talking about and they had a really great campaign with events with lots of people turning turning up to those events and lots of lots of engagement so that was really good um the other one i think is probably gaming so i think gaming's been around for a long time it's massive in the us and it is now getting quite big in the uk um, it's the audiences in gaming have scaled a lot recently in the last few years and in the last year, 12 to 18 months there's probably been a lot more um gaming talent appearing in the uk both kind of male and female which is interesting um and that kind of combined with the technological advances in gaming where you, you can start to put more um, sophisticated branding messages into into live games on, on platforms like twitch where gamers are live live streaming it's we're seeing more and more brands investing into the gaming space which is interesting because there's not that many that were massively active in it and as a result you're getting quite a good share of voice yeah, that's really interesting hearing about the tre- the rise of sort of gaming talent and also um, cause-driven talent. Really interesting. I suppose segueing from the gaming ele- element-ish into technology, we've sort of heard reports about um, influencers created by AI or influencers utilising AI to create their own sort of cartoons and things. Is this an area that you think will... Um, increase and do you think we'll see more AI influencers or do you think actually it's not going to fly and, and really engage with consumers? Um, I think there's been a few artificially created talent who are like more virtual talent on platforms like Instagram um, and there's been a few that have quite, become quite big. It, to be honest it was around, it was like end of 2018 start of 2019 uh, we had quite a few conversations around whether we should be doing that as a a management company, if there's an opportunity there. And I, I, I have to that, the virtually creative talent thing, I think has been a bit of a, um, a trend that's coming and going. And I'm not sure it's going to succeed because the reality, I don't think it'll be a big thing. The reality is influencers exist and talent on those platforms exist because they have an, the, the, the audience values the authenticity of the dialogue that they have with them and the relationship they have with them. And I think it might be a bit of fun to have an AI, to interact with an AI talent, but it's never going to be the same as with a real person where the relationship is real and kind of, authentic i think there's probably more um opportunity in ai creation of real talent on platforms like whatsapp or on a brand's customer services platform where you're essentially using the imagery and name of a talent for someone to interact with but they know that it's an artificial version of them um so that that uh, interaction becomes more fun and interesting and and engaging but i'm not i'm not convinced that artificial talent is going to be a a big thing maybe maybe later on but not in the next few years i don't think it's my opinion interesting so maybe a few more sort of cartoon characters coming popping up in our um on our uh screens as we're shopping and things online shopping for christmas yeah i think so we've had a couple of brand speeches about it never gone anywhere yet but you know brands are talking about it We'd be remiss not to mention uh, coronavirus. Have you seen any sort of trends coming out from 
the pandemic or the sort of reactions um, will influence the marketing change because of the pandemic? What are your thoughts around, around that? It's hard to tell, I think. It's hard to tell. I think we so when things that happened, so one thing that happened when, when I mean, there was an immediate kind of um, stop in most brand advertising, I think, and it did affect influencer advertising as well. But then I think people realized that the, the, the increase in viewing on digital platforms, which was really significant um, during the, the pandemic down as people were stuck in home, combined with the fact that talent can very authentic, authentically, I keep, it's a key word I can say a lot, um, speak to their audience and they understand how to speak to their audience. So I think then brands started to recognize that they could use talent as their voice in speaking to, to, to their audience. Um, in doing that, I think what we saw was a necessary step away from um, direct sales messages. So the, the audience at that time was not receptive to direct sales messages because everything was too um, sensitive. Um, but what you saw was a move away from that and towards content that was informing um, and entertaining, educating, and inspiring people. And influencers are great for that. They, they, they kind of also offered brands the opportunity to, some of our talent were literally explaining to their audience, this is a really odd time for everyone. What do you guys want to hear about? What's helpful? What's entertaining? So it was almost like a kind of um, free research for brands on how to speak to, the, to their audience that they were utilizing in, um, in talent. And we also saw um, some brands utilizing influencers as producers, because obviously no one could, produce content at the time they couldn't get together to do it hence you've seen five or six animated tv ads from the main brands for christmas um but utilizing influencers create really quality content of their equipment at home um and also um and i think one thing that we did see which i think is going to stick is utilizing influencers to create more online moments to replace events because obviously i think a lot of brands had events planned for launches and they were utilizing influencers to bring people to a place online to interact and make you know PRable content and announcements around some around an announcement, and I think we'll see that stick because it's much more cost effective than getting people into a physical space. I just think we'll see more of that happening with, with talent online. Yeah, really interesting to see what sort of yeah will build and become part of the norm from from the pandemic. Have you seen any influencer partnerships or engagement that have really caught your attention and thought have worked well? And also flip side. Any that you think, oh, it just missed the mark. It didn't quite um, work so well. The things that haven't worked are just stuff that's so artificial. You know, there, there is, I mean, there's a very well-known one that's been written about, so I can't kind of name it, of Listerine, which was an incredibly uh, shiny, polished Instagram post with the girl in Paris in an amazing hotel room and she has strawberries and pancakes and balloons in her room and she's pretending this was her normal life and on the side there's just like a bottle of listerine that i happen to use and people are like what is this and that's the pro that's the example of how not to use influencer talent it's not about here's a product and you see so much of it and you see too much of it um really it should be about integrating into their their everyday life and that's the value that long-term relationships with influencers bring that you'd be able to get into the, the the kind of conversation that they're having with their audience long long term um, one good, interesting one, I think just because it's a bit innovative that we did during pandemic was for a brand called Tatcha, which is kind of a, a makeup and um, bath brand with one of our talent called Claire Marshall on the platform. There's a gaming um, mobile game called Animal Crossing. I don't know if any of you play it. I, I don't play it, but it's, during pan the pandemic, it took off again. It became a really big um, game. It's the kind of game you can go in and build your own little island and build your own house and interact with other people. And this is an example of Tatcha had a, a product launch that they wanted to um, PR and they couldn't obviously have an event um, but instead our, our talent Claire 
hosted influencers on an island, a Thatcher branded island that she created um, in uh, Animal Crossing. Um, so lots of other influencers are pushing their audience to her hosting this event in virtually in this game. Um, and they also streamed it on Twitch as well. So there were people interacting with that on Twitch and clicking through to purchase the product. So it's a really interesting, different type of thing as well as spreading great figures. Um, the actual platform itself had a lot of PR coverage. I think they, they had over um, three million pounds worth of free PR coverage from that campaign. So in, in the US, so there's really interesting things people are doing on on different platforms, now, and that's a great example of how, how you can innovate with with digital talent with influencers. Yeah, fascinating. A sort of virtual everyone welcome Love Island um, event. <laughs> it sounds great. So I think we've probably got time for one more question from us. Um, we have heard about the unionisation of influencers in the UK and the mm. US. Do you think that this is, you know, something that presents any challenges for an agency such as Gleam? Do you think this will change and impact the industry? It's interesting because obviously traditional talent have unions. So TV talent, film talent have unions. There's no reason why influencers shouldn't have. It's a massive industry now um, and it's the fastest growing entertainment industry around at the minute um what i've heard in it so far seems to suggest that it's um around people of color um trying to get fair pay themselves and also to try and stop um, discriminatory practices from brands which is obviously a good thing um and i think it's a great idea certainly some of our talent before coming to glean we heard stories from them about how they were being unfairly paid and um, whether it's from an actual fee or them just finding out once they've gotten an event that they got left paid less or had less product gifted to them than all the rest of the people. On, and, and so agencies like ours are very much making that part of their communication and negotiation with brands. But um, I think it's, it's got to be a good thing. I, I, don't, I kind of don't think now how much it will change in the short term. It'll obviously bring a lot of awareness about of issues like that in the short term. But I think in terms of until it scales, like most unions, I'm not sure how much power we'll have to make change, but hopefully it'll, you know, in the long term, it'll be a positive thing. I don't think it'll create any issues for an agency like ours because we very much represent the rights of the talent first. So um, I think we'll be aligned with agencies. Well, I, I can't, would be concerned if it started to um, try and um, homogenize things a bit too much, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It's interesting that it's happening. It's good. Yeah, interesting to see what um, yeah what developments come up from that. Fascinating. Mm. Um, so, Tor, I think have we got some a bit of time to answer some questions from the audience? Yes, we do. So we've had quite a few questions in. So I've picked out a couple just for the last couple of minutes, if that's okay, Phil. Uh, the first one, you know, how far should you go when doing your due diligence on influencers? Do you need to look right back into people's ancient history? Do you need to look at their family members? What do you see as kind of what do you see brands doing in that regard? Um, it varies quite a lot of what brands do. So, I mean, it's a management company. We do a lot of the talent we take on to manage. We obviously we do a lot of due diligence through that. We, we visually go through every post they've ever made before we sign them now. And um, but the, there are programs that pick up. Um, sensitive words that you can use them one at a time but the reality is they're not that useful because a lot of the stuff you see is more about tone and um, messaging than specific offensive words how far should you go i suppose it's like anything it's spend you have to balance risk with um potential investment and potential losses if you're if it's a one-off post with someone um you probably don't need that much uh, due diligence but if you're going into a year-long partnership with them then you probably should do a lot more due diligence on them. You can work with, you know, Gleam Solutions, which is our influencer marketing arm. We do that for brands. Um, so we utilize our 
um, software that we have to check whether or not their audience is authentic um, and we'll review a lot of their posts in the background. Some brands um, are less about it. Some brands very much contractually are putting the um, emphasis on the manager and the talent at the same time to, to, to update them if any PR comes about, uh, any nicknames that they've had in the past, any negative PR that they've had in the past, um, warranties around discriminatory and illegal behaviour and all that kind of stuff. So it varies quite a lot. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, another question that's come up is that the ASA have, um, and Guy Parker, I think, has alluded to the fact that they perhaps agree that the ad um, disclosure is maybe a little bit too one-size-fits-all and that there might be more yeah. flexibility. It sounds like that's something that you would welcome. Yeah, I think I would. I think um, the reality is that good, good talent, good influencers want to be really clear with their audience. They want their audience to understand what they're doing. If you speak to most people that we manage and the other talent that we don't manage that we work with for brands, they are people who want their audience to understand what is happening. Um, and like, I think you alluded to it, Victoria, that you can't, you know, putting hashtag ad slash gift, hashtag PR, ad PR event, hashtag uh, affiliate slash ad, all these things like very confusing for consumers. Calling, you know, if, 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 if someone gets a, a free a free trip and then they feature a hotel in their video content there should be a really clear way of disclosing that it should be disclosed if someone gets a free product and does an honest review about it you alluded to it earlier then how they disclose that shouldn't be by putting hashtag ad against it magazines don't have to say that they've been sent a free product to review um you know and i think this just for me this is making more uh, putting influencer on a parity with other medium and my view is that the audience has an understanding of how those platforms work um, as much as they do TV. Certainly nobody on, nobody understands Circle and a P when it comes onto TV. If you're not a lawyer, then that means product placement. So uh, there's no more confusion around online than there is TV to me. So I would welcome yeah, more flexibility. But clarity is the most important thing. Just make it really clear what you want people to do. Just make it really clear and people will do it. The issues have come about because of lack of clarity and consistency on it and people second guessing what they should be doing. And I think that's what's created a lot of the problems. I think that's all we have time for, folks. We know that this episode was a bit different to our usual format, but we thought that Phil had some really interesting points on influencer marketing, and there's no doubt that it is a very hot topic right now, particularly given the massive growth in this industry that we have seen in recent years. We hope you found this episode as insightful as we did. So thanks very much, Phil, Victoria, and Susanna. This has been CMS Presents. Buzz me in. Thanks so much for listening. Music.